Dog Days of Podcasting, Day 22, Tuesday, August 25th, 2020. Today's topic, HIV, AIDS, Part 1. Following initial infection with human immunodeficiency virus, HIV, a person may have no or mild flu-like symptoms. Typically, this is followed by a prolonged period with no symptoms. If the infection progresses, it interferes with the immune system, increasing the risk of developing common infections, for example, tuberculosis, of developing tumors, and of unintended weight loss. These late symptoms of infections, infection are referred to as acquired immunodeficiency syndrome, AIDS. It's a retrovirus, episode 10 for more on that, transmitted by unprotected sex, contaminated blood transfusions, hypodermic needles, and from mother to child during pregnancy, delivery, or breastfeeding. It's not spread by saliva, sweat, or tears. There's no cure or vaccine. However, antiretroviral treatment can slow the course of the disease and may lead to a near normal life expectancy. Treatment is recommended as soon as the diagnosis is made. Without treatment, the average survival time after infection is 11 years. Giving an infected infected pregnant mother antivirals can often prevent the baby from being infected. An origin, or the origin, of HIV appears to be SIV, simian immunodeficiency virus, an HIV-like virus that attacks the immune system of monkeys and apes. SIV likely jumped to humans when hunters in Africa ate infected chimps, or the chimps' infected blood got into the cuts or wounds of hunters. However, SIV is a weak virus, which is typically suppressed by the human immune system within weeks of infection. I did try to figure out how SIV mutated into HIV. I still don't know if they've completely figured it out or not. It seems a bit mysterious. My best guess from my reading is that a key protein in SIV mutated in a Central African chimp then infected a person, and that particular mutation made this new virus, now HIV, which is one that humans cannot fend off. Pretty vague, I know, but that's my best guess. Some researchers believe this first transmission of SIV to HIV in humans occurred in 1920 in Kinshasa, the capital and largest city in the Democratic Republic of Congo. How's that for specific? The earliest well-documented case of HIV in a human dates back to 1959 in the Congo. In the 1960s, HIV spread from Africa to Haiti and the Caribbean. Although the virus may have been present in the U.S. as early as 1966, the vast majority of infections occurring outside sub-Saharan Africa, including the U.S., can be traced back to a single unknown individual who became infected with HIV in Haiti, and then brought the infection to the U.S. around 1969. How's that for even more specific? International travel from the U.S. helped the virus spread across the rest of the globe. By 1978, the prevalence of HIV among homosexual male residents of New York City and San Francisco was estimated at 5%. 
The first news story on the disease, at least in the U.S., appeared in, on May 18, 1981, in the gay newspaper New York Native. In June of 1981, the CDC published a report about five previously healthy homosexual men becoming infected with a type of pneumonia that affects people with compromised immune systems. In 1982, the New York Times described a new immune system disorder, disorder which had affected 335 people, killing 136 of them. Because the disease appeared to affect mo- mostly homosexual men, officials initially called it gay-related immune deficiency, or GRID. At one point, the CDC coined it the 4-H disease, as the syndrome seemed to affect heroin users, homosexuals, hemophiliacs, and Haitians. In September of 1982, the CDC used the term AIDS for the first time. By the end of that year, AIDS cases were also reported in a number of European countries. Although by 1983, it was known that female partners of AIDS-positive men could be or HIV-positive men, could be infected, the public considered AIDS a gay disease. It was even called the gay plague. This new disease happened right as America was turning towards new conservative philosophies and especially harsh harsh anti-gay sentiment via newly empowered evangelical Christians, Anita Bryant, the moral majority, and their man, Ronald Reagan, who was the new U.S. president. As such, the Reagan administration, much of the press, and much of the American people were very callous towards those with AIDS. The press, when speaking with Reagan's press secretary, made jokes about it. Uh, and you can hear this, the, the secretary, press secretary and the joke uh, press just laughing and making jokes about who has it and so forth. I listened to these on YouTube. Pretty disturbing. The FDA enacted regulations that banned gay men from donating blood, although the FDA would revise those rules in 2015 to allow gay men to give blood if they've been celibate for a year. However, blood banks already routinely test for HIV, so it doesn't really matter who gives blood anyway because it's going to be tested. Since there was no government help and much of the public turned away from AIDS victims, AIDS activists began to organize to provide care for the patients who are falling ill. One such group was the Gay Men's Health Crisis, founded in New York City in 1982, which is today the oldest HIV AIDS service organization in the world. And I think also it is an example of other types of uh, illness organizations. The Ryan White HIV AIDS program was named for a courageous young man named Ryan White who was diagnosed with AIDS following a blood transfusion in transfusion in December 1984. I can remember this by the way. Ryan White was diagnosed at age 13 while living in Kokomo, Indiana and was given 6 months to live. When he tried to return to school, he fought AIDS-related discrimination in his community. He rallied for his right to attend school, gaining national attention, and became the face of public education about his disease. Surprising his doctors, he lived five years longer than predicted. He died in April 1990, one month before his high school graduation, and only months before Congress passed legislation bearing his name in August of 1990. 
the Ryan White Comprehensive AIDS Resource Emergency Care Act. Reagan did not mention AIDS until 1985. My guess is that, in part, a regular white kid getting it from a blood transfusion allowed him to talk about it. On the flip side of noting Reagan's apparent non-concern about the disease, it has been suggested that his administration urged the FDA and drug companies to speed up the pace of creating anti-HIV drugs by removing regulations and via other tactics. In 1987, activists were still frustrated by government inaction as bodies continued to pile up, and they founded the AIDS Coalition to Unleash Power, or ACT UP, in New York City. And it sounds like they would do kind of publicity stunts along with other things they did to create awareness and uh, to get the government to respond. Today, their actions and their activist art are legendary for speeding the government's response to the AIDS crisis, allowing quicker testing and treatment of life-saving experimental drugs, and drawing public attention to the deadly impact of homophobic public health policies. It was in that year, 1987, the first antiretroviral medication for HIV, azetothymidine, AZT, became available. In 1991, activist Peter Staley draped a giant condom over the home of noted homophobic Senator Jesse Helms from North Carolina. Google this. I did not remember this. I was not living in the U.S. right then, so maybe that's why. It's a really funny-looking picture. So just Google condom Jesse Helms, and you'll find this picture. I don't know how the guy did it. Obviously, Jesse Helms was—no one was near this home. It's really funny. Uh, But anyway, a whole set of podcasts, episodes could be made just telling the amazing stories of brave AIDS activists, many of whom lost most of their friends and lovers and then their own lives. I've heard a few of these stories periodically on different podcast episodes here and there. There are lists of famous people who got HIV and or AIDS. Uh, A lot of them I've never heard of, but I saw a huge long list But some famous people I know of, that you may know of, uh, in 1985, actor Rock Hudson became the first high-profile fatality from AIDS. I remember this. Liberace, but died in 1987. The great Freddie Mercury died in 1991. If you've never seen Queen's last video with him in it, find it on YouTube and you might need some uh, tissues. Magic Johnson was diagnosed in 1991 with HIV. He's still kicking. Anthony Perkins from the movie Psycho died in 1992. Isaac Asimov died in 1992 from a tainted blood transfusion. transfusion. So did Arthur Ashe, who died in 1993, also blood transfusion. The great Olympic diver Greg Louganis came out as HIV positive in 1995, but he was actually diagnosed in 1988. He was in the Olympics that year. It was the year he hit his head on the diving board, if you recall that. Uh, At the time, he had to keep his sexuality and HIV status secret for fear of how it would affect his career and life. By 1995, AIDS was the single greatest killer of men ages 25 to 44 in America, and millions more around the world were infected. But AIDS-related deaths and hospitalizations in developed countries 
did begin to de decline sharply in 1995 thanks to new medications. The global incidence of HIV infection peaked in 1997 at 3.3 million that year. Still, by 1999, AIDS was the fourth biggest cause of death in the world and the leading cause of death in Africa. Global incidence fell rapidly from 1997 to 2005 to about 2.6 million per year, but remained stable from 2005 to at least 2015. Since the beginning of the epidemic, 76 million people have, in, have been infected with HIV virus and about 33 million have died. Globally, about 38 million people are living with HIV, were living with HIV at the end of 2019. 690,000 died of AIDS in 2019. Still a very large number. Uh, you can find a lot of detail country-by-country uh, country data on HIV and AIDS, but I live in the U.S., so I'm just going to talk about the U.S. now. Uh, for the for the end here. As of 2018, about 700,000 people have died of HIV uh, in the U.S., and nearly 13,000 people die each year at this point, it appears. Overall, things are improving greatly with much better treatment. Probably early diagnosis as well, I hope. The disease st does still hit the male gay community the hardest. Men who have sex with men account for approximately 8 out of 10 HIV diagnoses among males. Obviously, if it's men who have sex with men. AIDS is one of the top three causes of death for African-American men aged 25 to 54 and for African-American women aged 35 to 44 years in the United States. In the U.S., African-Americans make up about 48% of the total HIV-positive population and make up more than half of new HIV cases, despite making up only 12% of the population. My guess is a lot of that has to do with our just poor health care system and inability of uh, some people to get to a doctor and get quick diagnoses. <coughs> Excuse me. The main route of transmission for women is through unprotected heterosexual sex. African American women are 19 times more likely to contract HIV than other women. Regionally, the population rates of persons diagnosed with HIV infection in 2015 were highest in the South, followed by the Northeast, then the West, and then the Midwest. Tomorrow we'll talk a little bit more about the science of HIV and treatment and vaccines.